Betrayal is difficult, but when the betrayal comes from your own mind, can you truly be held responsible for your actions? We live our days believing to be doing mundane tasks to make it through to the next day. The next time you open a can or cut into a cake, think this thought in the back of your mind. What if I'm actually carving into another person right now instead of this delicious Boston cream pie? Y'all listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's everybody's week been? It's been pretty good. Just kind of one of those weeks where you're just kind of like getting through the weekend. <laughs> I have been obsessed with a mystery. Ooh. Yes, this is a very weird mystery. Um, it's a video gaming mystery. There oh, okay. is There is a, a Reddit uh, forum uh, called On the Tip of My Joystick. <laughs> and essentially, <laughs> yes, I love the name. Gaming. <laughs> so what it is is you go there, you describe a video game that you played in the past, and then people will go, oh, I know that game. That's such and such. There is a huge mystery going on now because somebody came onto that forum and said, I played this farming simulator that I'm trying to find. It was a downloadable game. It was from 2001, 2006, somewhere in there. It was, it was like Harvest Time, but it was a top-down video game. But... At the beginning of it, in the first 10 minutes, you murder your wife, <laughs> and you have to hide her body on the farm, and whenever the police come, you have to keep them away from the body and move the body on occasion to throw the police off. The internet has gone fucking nuts <laughs> trying to find this game. Is it real? It's, it, it's supposedly real. No one knows the name of it, but we have like a whole bunch of clues, and they've actually created their own subreddit for the game called wow. That Evil Farming Game. Oh my god. So, Are you sure this guy didn't play Farmville on like LSD? <laughs> no, because it's more than one person going like, yeah, oh. I remember that, oh. and another person went, yeah, I remember there was like, you could stab her, you could drown her, you could strangle her. Are all these people from Florida? Probably. Okay. Yeah. But it's a thing where like other people are remembering and hopefully we'll have a copy of the game soon. That would be fantastic because I kind of want to play it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. And like they, we've got like the name of a company. They said, oh, it's some sort of German company that I think is like Ash well, and Bones sense. or Ash and Ruins. So there's all these clues that are pe people are following and it's like this, it's kind of neat to see this weird little mystery unfold day after day after day and new clues appear. And people are tracking this down, and it feels like just a couple of weeks, and we'll have the game. Hmm. That is interesting. Isn't it? It is. Isn't it? I want to play I some... mean, like, I probably would have played that in 2001. Yeah, I'd play it now. <laughs> I'm going to play it whenever I probably play it, it now, but I only want to play the first 10 minutes, because I don't care about the farming. <laughs> no, I think, I think moving the body around. Oh, that's, like, throughout the game? That's throughout the game. Like, so if you bury your, her body in the field, and the cops come, and they don't find the body then you have to move it to another part. Like, I'll bury it in the basement now. And so you have to keep Never moving the, the body basement. around. The, basement, <sighs> the basement's kind of neat because you can keep a better eye on it than the outside. I guess, but rookies, man. <laughs> 
You're right. Bury it in the neighbor's basement. There you go. <laughs> That's how you do it. That's better. Uh-huh. You don't, you don't want to take the fall when the cable guy goes in the crawl space and finds a body. Not that I would know anything about that. But <laughs> if it's at the neighbor's house, not your circus, not your monkeys. <laughs> there you go. There you go. How about you guys? Yeah, just uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl because I'm going to cross stitch for like six hours straight. <laughs> My daughter is going to cry. This is this is the first Super Bowl that she's ever had to work and she's working food service. Oh, God. And oh, no. She is terrified. And I can't wait to watch her fall. Like, <laughs> you're a wonderful mother. But you're also a former food service worker, I so am. you've got this sense I've of like, done this. oh, yeah. just wait. <laughs> but like I already told her, I'm like, it's going to be hard. You're never going to stop moving. You're going to be exhausted, but it's going to go so fast. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's going to be a good learning experience for her, I think. Super Bowl, Super Bowl games for me, I did the Super Bowl last year, and it was dead. Uh, we didn't get any calls. I work at a cable and internet company. So, from what I understand, it all depends if there's an outage or not. Yeah. yeah. You only get calls if something goes wrong, and if something goes wrong, oh my god. <sighs> yeah. Speaking of things going wrong. There we go. Nice <laughs> segue. <laughs> we are talking this week about Dr. William Chester Minor. This is a really fascinating case, and it's one where it's a bit of a roller coaster, don't always know how to feel about things. Um, people are complicated. <laughs> and that is no more true than here. Uh, William Chester Minor, he was born June 22nd, 1834, on the island of Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka. His parents were Eastman Strong Minor, which could, is quite the name. Could you fucking name anything more testicular than <laughs> Eastman Strong Minor? Uh, fucking... Punch fist, cock strangler. Eastman Strong Miner. I now have my my next son's name. <laughs> We've already got Flingin' Nord. Yeah. You're going to have to get to fucking. <laughs> well, yeah, that part, but not the kid part. And also the, the less fascinatingly named Lucy Bailey, but still a pretty name. Absolutely. Uh, they were Congregationalist Church missionaries originally from New England. They basically came from this big, really, like high up there Connecticut family that dated all the way back to Thomas Minor of Northeast Somerset, England. He went to Salem, Massachusetts in 1629. So we're talking serious early days. They weren't even, you know, burning Rebecca nurse at the stake. No, they didn't. They hung her um, for, you know, another 60 some years. So I'm listening to Unobscured right now, the first <laughs> season. So I'm all Salem witch trials. <laughs> so, um, he helped settle two towns, New London and Stonington. I bet they stoned some witches there. Maybe that's how they named it. I bet. And he wrote one of the only diaries to make it through 1600s New England, which is pretty fascinating. Um, because we're religious and those scribbles are some sort of devil talk. Well, the thing is, and this is again, this is from Unobscured, literacy was... Uh, surprisingly important to the Puritans. Now, I don't know if he was a Puritan, but a lot of people in, in these days were. I don't know if 1629, but in the 1600s in general, um, coming to America. And it was very important to them because it was important to be able to read the Bible for, for men and women alike. So they actually would, like, the women will teach them to read, we'll let them read, not, not a whole lot else, and we're going to accuse them a whole lot of witchcraft, but we'll let them read. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it's so that's actually why it's kind of surprising because literacy was so... 
um, so important. But at the same time, a lot of the records from the actual Salem witch trials have been lost. I want to apologize to women everywhere. I'm sorry up until... Like, about 20 years ago, you had to be put under the oppressive cock of malehoodness. We're still well, under it a little bit sometimes, dude. Yeah, depending on which country. I mean, there's still, like, yeah. Nepal has the menstrual huts that they send the women away to die in the cold. Menstrual hut is going to be the name of my, name of my punk band. You get a new punk band every week. Dude, we get a new name every week. <laughs> they actually just made that illegal, and they, they threatened to start arresting people because they're still forcing the women to go to the menstrual hut to freeze to death. Ugh. I mean, I'll gladly go and hide away somewhere for a week, but I don't want to freeze to death. <laughs> like, give me a damn heating pad. Like nothing. It's They're like weird little lean-to shacks, and they have to go out there until they're done with their, their cycle. Oh, fuck that. So, uh, speaking of uh, how women had it bad, Eastman's first wife didn't survive um, very long, so he remarried. And so William here got some half-siblings, and then not long after, he was sent away to the Russell Military Academy in New Haven, Connecticut, and stayed with some relatives. I had some questions about that. The timing seemed a little... Well, like... his mother died when he was three. Mm-hmm. So I, I was... Because I don't... Did you catch the gap between him and then his siblings? I know. I think I saw a, 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 a ten maybe okay so that that's a little better it was hard to find exact dates for a lot of things because that, this is you know, a while ago but. that's not uncommon there's 11 years between me and my younger brother there's 11 years between me and my older sister and then i have an older brother on top of that and there's 11 years between my older brother and my oldest sister there's 17 years between me and my youngest brother uh my i have an aunt who's just a couple years older than my sister and that that other that brother that I just mentioned, he has a nephew who is just a couple years younger than him. If if, if I think it's sixteen months actually, it's yeah. not even a couple years. Both so. of my parents were married before they met each other, and so there's like a ten to fifteen year age gap between me and my brother and our oldest siblings. So I, I guess it's not that it's uncommon. not that uncommon. No. But the thing is that the fact that he was sent away. Oh well, I, I actually, don't know how regular that was. He was sent away when he was thirteen because he started to have. Uh, Thoughts towards the exotic native girls. Oh, so it was kicking in already, what we're going to see later. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about that, but that makes a lot of sense. That everything he, makes sense now. You mean he liked the chocolate? Well, he never acted on racist? impulse, <laughs> but he, was, he said uh, because of his religious upbringing, he was actually really guilty about these thoughts. So he confessed them, and then it was like, you know what, maybe we should send him away before it's a problem. Okay, which you know, a young boy having interest in in the the women around him, not surprising. You know, like this is this is about the age when it happens. But when you have that religious upbringing, it is deemed improper and considered a sign of sin. Well, and, and the way it was kind of worded, it seemed like maybe they were more improper than improper. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, with him, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. You let the genitals touch. <laughs> Russell Military Academy has some notable alumni. Uh, one Colonel Thomas E. Rose. He was a Union officer and the mastermind of the Libby Prison Escape. Oh. 100 prisoner of war Union troops freed under his guidance. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So really cool. And William Wirt Winchester of Winchester Firearms. Hmm. And husband of Sarah Winchester. Of the Winchester House. Yes. Oh, my God. For those that don't know, near Mountain View, California. Hello, Xavier. I know you're listening. Hi, Xavier. <laughs> uh, there is a house called the Winchester Mystery House, 
where a, Sarah Winchester, she decides that she's going to go see a psychic. And the psychic goes, your, your husband made guns and all the ghosts of the people are going to haunt you unless you keep building onto the house. I have a brother who's a contractor. Let me help you. <laughs> um, and, and she builds and builds and builds and builds stairs that go nowhere. The fucking thing is like 150 acres. I exaggerate, but I think it actually is something like 14 acres it's of gigantic. house. It's gigantic. Yeah, it's... it's I, if I remember correctly, I think there's a fantastic episode of Criminal about it. But there's episodes of almost every other mm-hmm. crime po- podcast about it. Um, but it's it's so fascinating, and I really want to go there someday. But I'm also scared that I would get lost because <laughs> well, I I already I get turned around in normal houses. Yeah. <laughs> Not all those who wander are lost. <laughs> That's true. No, trust me, you will fucking die of starvation in this house. <laughs> it's... I'll pack snacks. <laughs> you will fucking die. There are doors that you just open up, and it's like thirty feet, and then a drop. And it's just, it's dangerous. I do love this. We're going to the Winchester Mystery House. This would be an excellent place to murder people, too. Yeah. Oh, you go ahead and open that door. Sometimes I think Amber's on the wrong side of the true crime podcast ethos. (laughs) She's more than the one that we're going to write, do a true crime podcast about. (laughs) It would up the views. So uh, he goes off to Yale Med School after he uh, finishes up at Russell Military Academy, but he also is teaching at the Russell Academy. So he's still, you know, part of him still there. And he at Yale at the time, they were working on a revision of Webster's Dictionary. So he also worked on that. He was originally assisting, but then he was working under a, a professor, and that professor got sick. So Miner started pitching in some more. It was a 114,000-word edition published in 1864, and it was the world's largest mass-produced book at the time. But they say Miner's work wasn't so great. It was called, quote, the weakest part of the book, end quote, by a critic, yes. Oh, that's sad. It is sad. He puts all this work into it, and it doesn't look good, but we see uh, shades of of, of things to come and, and, you know, like some motivation for for what comes much later. Penderfloff is not a word, Miner. (laughs) What's a fennig? (laughs) (laughs) So he graduates in 1863, specialization in comparative anatomy. And by the way, um, just to clarify, med school was about two years at this point in time. And before um, the founding of the Yale Medical School in 1813, any doctors who went through Yale, they just trained through an apprenticeship. So it, just 50 years before, he wouldn't have even had to spend that two years in school studying. He would have just had to, you know, work under somebody and, and watch them and maybe learn something when one hopes. So Advanced leech placement. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> if it's bleeding, cut it off. If it's not bleeding, put a leech on it. <laughs> we just came up with a new technique. I'm, I'm really hopeful about this. This is called just fucking burning it. <laughs> I, like to, I like to add on to my, uh, my apprenticeship rules. If it's bleeding, cut it off. If it's not bleeding, put a leech on it. If it's a woman, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hand her a vibrator and send her to the menstrual hut. Yeah. <laughs> so, and actually I was just curious. The first medical school was founded in 1765. It was the College of Philadelphia, which is now the medical school at the University of Pennsylvania. Ooh, I want to go there so badly. That is on my bucket list. Because at that school, 
they have a museum called the Muter Museum. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. been there several times. Yes, that is on my Carter loves it. List. Well, even before Carter, when I was a kid, I used to go there. Hmm. So I have loved that place for a long time, and now Carter is obsessed with it, and she's gone probably five times. For those that don't know, it is the Museum of Medical Oddities. It is fantastic as a morbid child. It is sad as you get older, because you actually start to feel for some of these these, uh, people that lived horribly. My God, has the devil gotten gotten soft, Amber? (laughs) No, no, my sister was sad last time. Oh, okay. No, it wasn't me. Um, She doesn't have emotions. (laughs) No, she has them. They're just not the good ones. That's fair. That's fair. No, like I went with my sister and Carter actually the first time she went. And my sister was actually like tearing up at some of the oddities because they they were like some of them are kids Mm -hmm. that had deformities and, and passed very early. And so they have the whole skeleton or sometimes body and formaldehyde there and so she was getting very sad and i was like ah look at that guy (laughs) not not all i found this out today not all deformations are unpleasant deformities i'm gonna use the word deformation sure it's not one but sure okay fine whatever i like it i feel like it's the marching band when they're done with their (laughs) deformation that's it deformation time guys so i i made a joke today because the uh one of my students' fathers sits in on the lesson, and he looked at his kid's hands and went, Jesus Christ, your hands are big. I never noticed before. To his own kid. And I looked at him and went, did you, did you like, freaking grow up near Three Mile Island? And they started to laugh, and I looked up. I looked up Chernobyl mutations, right? There is a new breed of fox that has just the longest, most beautiful legs. Or, no, it's wolf. That has long, beautiful legs. It's like it's like an adorable slender wolf, and it's and they thrive there. They absolutely thrive there. I'll show you pictures after after yeah. the show. You guys want to learn a thing real quick? Yes, I want to learn something. Deformation does not in any way mean like deformity. Okay, but uh, it has a, a couple different de- definitions. One of them not really. Uh, doesn't matter. Military. The other one is an altered form of a word, especially one used to avoid overt profanity. So if you say dang instead of damn or fudge instead of fuck. Shut the front door. Exactly. So that is a deformation. So there's your little linguist bit that we didn't expect to come up on today. So wait, actually, that's perfect. for this. That is absolutely perfect because this is the, this is the episode for definitions. I will be fluffernuttered. <laughs> what the duck? <laughs> So he does, getting back to William Minor, <laughs> I think we had three derailments there, guys. i got to rein it in just a little bit. That's okay. Everybody take your meds, okay? <laughs> I'm actually on my meds now. This is 100% Scott. <laughs> that is true. So he works at a hospital in New Haven for a little bit. Uh, he works performing autopsies on soldiers and publishes his uh, reports in a book that is still at the Yale Library. Some, I, you know, you, you see autopsies on soldiers and just automatically you think violent deaths. But there were some causes that were less violent than I would have expected, but it's stuff that, like lung ailments, you don't see too much these days. Typhus, typhoid pneumonia, pleurisy. I've had pleurisy, so. Me too. Uh, it's fun, isn't it? Lovely. <laughs> Laughing is great. Uh, Pithesis, or which is tuberculosis, and also alcoholismus acutus. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. I'm sure caffeine isn't good for me. <laughs> and choking. 
But yeah, so it's just kind of surprising. Like you know, you you expect it's going to be a lot of bullet wounds, but also he's maybe in New Haven and not so much of the war going on up there. Koala attack. <laughs> so then he goes to see the war. He joins the Union Army as a surgeon. Now, here comes the what happened. Nobody knows, and it seems like everybody argues a lot about it. He may have served at the Battle of the Wilderness. Now, this was in May 1864. 3,700 killed total. Uh, although Wikipedia had different numbers. It had like, I think... 5,000. Yeah, it had 5,000, but this came from like a... I can't even remember where it came from, but it was something more official. It was like a, a journal article or something. I wonder I wonder if it is in a situation where it was 5,000 in total, but maybe 3,700 troops. Maybe there were innocent, a lot of innocent bystanders. It could have happened, especially in the wilderness. Yeah. yeah. So, and then casualties were somewhere between twenty-three thousand and twenty-eight thousand. This went for two night from the morning of May fifth to the night of May seventh. Was immediately followed by a much longer battle, the Battle of Spotsylvania, uh, from May eighth to the twenty-first. That one just did not want to end. So here's the thing: the story goes that he was forced to brand an Irish soldier who was in the Union Army and had deserted with a D on his cheek. The safe word is rotisserie chicken. <laughs> but his records have him at New Haven during the battle, and he doesn't even get to Alexandria, Virginia until May 17th. That's... Which, granted, would, you know, I don't know how close it is to Spotsylvania, Alexandria. I didn't think to look that up, but maybe it happened in the Battle of Spotsylvania. The records, records are really kind of fucked up. We saw that. But they're all we have. Yeah. If we're, if we're going to yeah. say, well, screw the records, then we have nothing. Right. We have, for example, the sea and poison. If you go back and listen to that, for a long time, we weren't certain who everybody was on the flight because it was arranged so quickly. Um, I know just in my own personal life, my dad didn't officially die until 1993, even though he passed away in 91. That's true. But yeah. the but the records, yeah, records are faulty. We can't always trust them. So mm -hmm. so my article from Forgotten Newsmakers actually says that he requested to be sent in a battle because he was isolated and bored at the hospital. Oh. And he made it to the Battle of the Wilderness through a supposed change in orders that he requested. Interesting. But that the change of orders could have been lost, and originally he was supposed to be in that's, New Haven. Yeah, that's, that's very true. That's a possibility. And then we have the question of branding. Now, according to some sources, branding is not used in the Union Army, but uh, there was one book that cites a newspaper accounts of the day with mentions of branding. So there's that. Um, it wasn't officially abolished, uh, along with branding with, not branding, but, you know, marking with tattoos for desertion until um, 1872. It was used, uh, it wasn't just the cheek. They would also possibly do it on the forehead or the hip. Um, I, it's, it's odd, but, um, so here's some fun other possible punishments in the early 19th to mid 19th century. Are we going to get into the nose thing? We're not going to get into the nose no, thing. No, no. I don't have anything with noses. So execution was rare and, uh, it didn't happen terribly often. They would do a lot of corporal punishments, uh, flogging that was, had a, quite the roller coaster history. It was curtailed in 1806. I, but I think they basically were like, eh, probably don't do that. Just, just maybe not. And then banned officially in 1812, reinstated in 1833, and then abolished again in 1861. <laughs> uh, you could also be tied to a tree. 
You could be uh, made to ride a fence post with a musket swinging from each foot. What the hell were they doing? Um, there Fun. was picketing. <laughs> Amber's excited. There was picketing, which was standing on a sharp stick. There was the old ball and chain, which no, they did not bring your wife in. <laughs> she was probably, in fact, the reason that you deserted because you had these men who were in the army. They weren't getting paid for months on end. Their wife was at home sending letters like, could you just come back? I need money. We're dying here. And so they leave to go home and do some work and everything. So they also would crop the ears. Um, there was also um, gagging, which was uh, strapping a bayonet to the mouth in some way, shape, or form. The, it wasn't specific, and I was okay with that, really. I didn't need to know anymore because I have a, a very strong gag reflex, and it's very sensitive. Um, there was also ritual humiliation, and there are actual pictures of the old barrel dress. <laughs> the barrel <laughs> that they had to stand in. And it's not like they're even like super embarrassing them because they're like naked or something. You can see they're still wearing pants and shirts. They just put a barrel with straps over it. It is, I really thought that was made up. I thought that was a cartoon thing. I did not think, I'm just sitting, staring at this picture. I'm like, oh, that was real. What the hell? Dress him like a lady because he's a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole barrel thing. I think it's interesting that it was like, just, you, you had fucking barrels everywhere. And it's like, nowadays, it's like, no, we're not wasting a good barrel on that person. But most sources I read did seem to indicate that branding was still a thing. And the reason we're talking about this so much is it has to do with him hating the fact that he, you know, hating the branding that seemed to imprint on him and also the Irishman. That'll pick up pretty soon here, the fact that it was an Irishman. So after the war, he ends up serving in New York City on Governor's Island. He is promoted to captain, and he likes him some brothels. I see nothing wrong with this. It's fine, yeah. Um, but he doesn't think that's fine, because you've got that whole cognitive dissonance going on between his religious upbringing and his sexual drives. You've got the, the shame that he feels. Uh, and then just add some, you know, some VD into the mix. Good old-fashioned syphilis. I find this... I, I mean, we don't... I should clarify, we don't know anything about whether any particular STDs, but, <laughs> or STIs, whatever they're calling them now. But, yeah, you just kind of assume in those days, yeah. I, I find it so interesting, the American view on prostitution. Simply because, like, it's so different than any place else in the world. Mm -hmm. The view of prostitution. I think it's uh, Amsterdam... Yeah. If you're disabled, they'll actually the government will pay for you to get a prostitute like twelve yeah. times a year, just to just to let's make sure the plumbing works. Keep that blood flowing. Yeah. Then the whole like masturbation thing. The the Mormons, the and I'm sure there was like masturbation in here because masturbation that was on the list of things you could be put into an asylum for. You know, at the time, the uh, the Mormons back in the uh, 90s tried to prove masturbation caused prostate cancer. <laughs> and they hired a bunch of scientists, and the scientists came back and went, no, we actually proved the opposite. If you jack it at least once a day, your rate of prostate cancer goes down amazingly. We're thinking it's a preventative cure for prostate cancer, which is why I just masturbate every night until I pass out. Okay. <laughs> a lot of it goes back to that Puritanism. Yeah. You know, it just it just goes straight back to that. Okay, so back to minor. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you. Oh no, I'm gonna make it worse. I'm gonna make it worse. Thank you. So thank uh, you. he was spending nearly every night with prostitutes and carrying a Colt 38. 
and and he did contract a venereal disease, and then he tried to uh, cure it himself by injecting white Rhine wine into his urethra. Ew! No, I did not see that in the research. What? <laughs> yes, he tried to cure his own venereal disease by uh, injecting something into his pee hole. It did not work. We're going to drink booze in reverse. (laughs) I'm really glad that med school and becoming a doctor takes longer and is a more rigorous process now, because then maybe people won't do that. I disagree. I'm saying putting wine in your dick hole is pretty rigorous. (laughs) That's all. I mean... It's it's a rigorous activity. It's not born of rigorous education. Yes. How I, about I that? I want to know how much wine he drank before he's like, I should put this in my pee hole. <laughs> I've had stuff jammed up my pee hole. Uh, no, no, we're not going into it. We're not going into it. <laughs> no, that's a derail I will not allow. It was medicine. So, it was medical. So you, was you, you say that. So... <laughs> in 1867, the army kind of took note. Do you have more? You look like you have more. Uh, no, go ahead. Okay, I just want to make sure. In 1867, the army kind of noticed his behavior was not really approving, thought that this would not end well, so they sent Meyer, him... I need to talk to you. <laughs> I, get on over here. Now, you can sleep with as many prostitutes as you like, but uh, the boy saw you jamming a bottle of Chabernet right up the old wahoo. Chabernet? Chabernet. <laughs> this is what, this is what they called it back in the Union That's what we call it back in. It's not going to be Chardonnay for a long time. It's Chabernet. <laughs> now, you can drink as much booze as you want to, but we insist that it goes in your mouth. And I thought, whenever he said the old yin-yang, I thought he meant you jammed it up your butt. Which, you know, hey, whatever. Wine bottles do not go in pee holes, man. Oh, my God. We're going to get you some help. Don't you worry. We're going to send you to Florida. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, though, before he went to Florida, he made up a girlfriend that he was engaged to. That was the Ooh. bit that was, it was at the same time. And he, they said it made him bitter and resent the military even more because he had this fiance that nobody ever met. She was his Canada girlfriend. Well, New York. No, but... The, the the whole idea of like yeah. in, in, teenagers, you know, being like, I have a I have a girlfriend and she she lives in Canada. I met her at camp. You you wouldn't know her. Inside <laughs> Out actually did that. If she if she had an imaginary boyfriend in her brain that lived in Canada. That's why no, none of her friends met him. Um, but yeah, so he had an imaginary fiance in New York, and then when they moved him to Florida, he was very bitter because he had to leave this girl behind that wasn't real. Well, considering what was going on in his head, I wouldn't be surprised if he totally believed she was real. Yeah. So he's he's basically paranoid of everybody around him. He goes down to Florida. He even challenged his best friend to a duel. And then one article I read said, like, you add in some sunstroke slash heat stroke. Um, and, you know, it gets it gets bad mentally. But, all right, so what I read about heat stroke, um, quote, heat stroke leads only rarely to permanent neurological deficits. Uh, there are, however, some sporadic descriptions of disturbances that lasted up to four months, end quote. So not, it, it, it doesn't, I don't think that the, the heat was really as big of an issue, but you, you, there was already a lot chemically going on up there in the skull, rattling around, so it was not, it was not great. Um, in September 1868, he was diagnosed with something called monomania, which, according to Wikipedia, the source of all things medical knowledge, uh, <laughs> I'm not a doctor, and my sibling who is in the medical field is probably yelling right now. <laughs> Go to the Mayo Clinic website, for God's sakes. It's um, pronounced phenomena. <laughs> phenomena. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it's a form of partial insanity conceived as single pathological preoccupation in an otherwise sound mind. It's obsession. But it's obsession to the point that it literally drives you nuts. I'm telling you, it's okay to to, to drink wine through your pee hole. <laughs> we got into Florida. We crossed the border. There were three guys sitting on the porch with a funnel jammed in their dick, <laughs> just pouring. And like, everybody's like, you fucking miner's crazy. And like, the guy who drove him went, no, he's he's not lying. That happened in Florida. <laughs> you really opened up quite the door for Scott there. <laughs> that door is apparently just going to stand. There they go. Fist bumping across the desk for me. I'm going to separate you two, I swear to God. It won't We're help. We're going to podcast from separate rooms. <laughs> it still won't help. No, it won't. We, we caused a lot of trouble at work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. So in 1868, he's admitted to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, the hospital that would drive me mad why would it drive me mad you ask any answers nobody noticed i just thought maybe you're on you're on the the verge missing apostrophe (laughs) (laughs) it's saint elizabeth's no apostrophe oh see mine has the apostrophe in it yeah but it's not Oh. It's really Latin. It actually, um, it was... Damn Brits. Opened. It was... Oh, no, it was the damn Americans. Oh. It was opened in 1855. It was the first federally operated psych- psychiatric hospital damn in the feds. U.S. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's two people named Elizabeth. The, the government... <laughs> there you go. Congress changed the name from the government hospital for the insane to St. Elizabeth's and just for no apparent reason removed the apostrophe from St. Elizabeth's. It's, there's no reason why. St. Elizabeth's was already a thing. There definitely wasn't two Elizabeths. It was St. Elizabeth apostrophe S. And they were just like, should we get this proofread or something? Nah, now nah, just leave it. Okay, so Do- as somebody who's been in the military, they didn't know what the apostrophe was, and they're like, we don't need this. this but it's, tr- it's Congress. Well, yeah, I mean, have you... Really? It's Congress back when they were better educated than they are now. During World War II. <laughs> or at least you hope. Right? During World War II, we caught about two dozen Nazi spies with falsified documents because the original documents had a grammatical error in them and the Germans, in their extreme efficiency, whenever they would forge the documents, corrected the grammatical error. So it was really easy to just, let me see your papers. Fucking Nazi! <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think it was my class. I think it was another class, uh, possibly one of my siblings. But they uh, misspelled, uh, I think, graduation or education, one of the two, on the diploma. Yeah. So, oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, isn't it? So that okay. is truly American. Yeah. yeah. So this hospital, okay, it has some interesting history. At one point in the late 19th century, the Smithsonian was bringing back animals from expeditions, but there was no place to put them. The National Zoo hadn't been built yet, so they just put them in this hospital so the patients could enjoy them for, for, you know, as long as they needed. Um, One uh, Walter Freeman was once the lab director there. Is this name familiar to anybody? Walter Freeman. Boy, that does ring a bell lobotomy oh my he's the ice pick lobotomist Mm -hmm. he was inspired by his time there to pioneer the transorbital lobotomy uh you're gonna love this one scott oh here it comes during world war ii they did some uh, the the office of strategic services so the precursor to the cia Mm -hmm. did some testing of truth serums uh they did a combination of scopolamine Mm -hmm. and mescaline and another test of THC on what I'm going to call 
quote, volunteers. Mm-hmm. For those that don't know, scopalamine. Which, I'm not sure if we're pronouncing that right. It's uh, for, from the Vice documentary. They pronounce okay, it Okay, they pronounce it there. Okay, all right. Yeah. Scopalamine is a drug that if somebody blows it into your face, they'll just open up like that, blows it into your face, it robs your free will entirely. You will wander around looking all all normal. You will respond as you normally do, but they'll go, you know what? Cut your finger off. And you'll go, which one? Where can I find this? Oh. No, no, you don't need it. No, yeah. you're the last person who should have this. <laughs> and it is... So it is. later? Yeah, I'll tell you later. <laughs> It is it is the fucking devil in powdered form. You will kill, you will murder, you will commit suicide. You will hand over all your possessions and you'll have no memory of it whatsoever. And the only way to test for it? Cats. Mm-hmm. Cats' pupils just, like, they know true evil and their pupils dilate in the presence of scopalamine. That's why I hate cats. I love cats. <laughs> Yeah, you would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, checking their eyes tonight. Huh? So, so that's Saint Elizabeth's, with an apostrophe, I insist. Hospital history. Um, Minor, uh, he would hallucinate. He had these delusions and paranoia about a man like living in his attic, hiding under his bed, creeping into his room. And in 1870, he's discharged from the army. He gets his pension, and he goes across the pond. Hey, Brits. We see you there. We got some Brit listeners. Mm-hmm. Good to see you. We're back in Britain. And because we are in Britain, we have pub names. Mm, I love pub names. pub names. Pub names are great. So, Trust me, you're going to love this Amber. Okay. Okay. Minor goes, he lives in a slum area that I didn't write down. Did anybody? What's Lumbeth. The Lumbeth. Thank you. It was on the tip of my tongue. Go ahead. It was on the tip of my joystick. That's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave that in there because it's funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he goes. He, uh, he goes back to old habits. He goes to the brothel. Starts collecting rare books, which is a new thing. But the British pubs currently in this area, Lumbeth, the White Bear, Ooh. the King's Arms, huh? the Three Stags, oh, the Pineapple, okay, <laughs> the Crown and Cushion. The Camel and Artichoke. I like that one. That's where I'm going. The Black Prince. The Black Dog. I feel mm-hmm. like the the Black Prince, though, you could get like a Nigerian lottery there. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. English Maid. Oh, here that, we go. I was like, Ooh, I, Scott said, naughty. Scott jumped in too soon. <laughs> I'm going I'm gonna to go get the Naughty Maid there, and then we're going to do the Camel and the Artichoke. It's the English Maid, but we can call it the no, Naughty Maid. No, she's going to be naughty. Trust me. I, I can work my magic here. And then one that is not necessarily a special name, but I love. It's Tamisis Dock, which is a pub on a 1930s Dutch barge. It oh. looks awesome. I basically was just looking at this like, can I? book a ticket to London. I want to go there right now. Like, I want to go to this barge and just party it up. Did you did you live around here whenever the ship hotel was a thing? I went to the ruins. I don't think... When was that? The ship hotel, that, that burned down, I think, about 25 years ago. Okay, I definitely would have been here. Yeah. It burnt down when I was a child. I never knew about it until after it was gone. Going out of Ogletown. It's cool. It... It was it was this thing, and I'll show you pictures of it later. 
you go down over the steep hill, if you look out to the right, I mean, you can see for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just like you have an eagle's eye view of the landscape. It's like the Grand Canyon of Johnstown, kind of. Huh. Yeah. So they built a ship there. Of course. But it was a hotel, but it looked like a ship. And they kind of called it Noah's Ark and stuff. And they actually had another one, another one similar down on Mount Ararat, just below, just below Somerset, Somerset, Pennsylvania. But it just looked like this ship was sailing through the clouds and rammed into the side of the mountain. It was oh, cool. that's so cool. Yeah. And, and you uh, could like eat and drink out on the balcony overlooking the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. You could go onto the deck of the ship, eat, drink. Uh, towards the end, it kind of got like infested. Like they would have different infestations. Last time I went there, it was snakes. So Ooh. I never went there, but um, after it was it was gone, me, Marcus, and Rickshaw Joe went on a drunken joy ride to stop there, climb the guide rail, scale the, the rocks a little bit, and find old pieces of the hotel. Hmm. So that was really cool. And the view was beautiful. I can only imagine it would be better if you could stand on solid ground. Um, but it was awesome. It, it was really cool. really cool. Yeah. I If I had the money, I would rebuild the ship hotel. Unfortunately, it was a victim of arson. The man said that it was... money. No, no. It was the same guy that burned down the, the movie theater here in Johnstown. Same guy, two different spots. And he said Jesus told him to do it. Yeah, of course. And Jesus, I'm talking to you, knock it the fuck off. Right, people who say Jesus is telling you to do things, gonna give you a little hint. You shouldn't do those things. Just don't. Look, okay, for everybody... You're ruining it for everybody. This is Jesus speaking now. I want you to, to invest your money wisely. Stop giving to televangelists. Go to patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. There it is. There it is. Listen to listen to the Old Timey Crimey podcast. And for the love of God, just hug somebody. Yeah. yeah there we go. Hug somebody. That wants to be hugged. So <laughs> somebody who really needed to be hugged at the time was Dr. Minor. Mm-hmm. He was not doing great mentally. Um, these intruders that he's imagining or deluding himself, hallucinating, whatever... They are in his head from an Irish nationalist group called the Fenian Brotherhood, and he is sure that they're out to get him because of this, supposedly because of this whole D for deserter branding thing. Um, Seems a little weird because the Fenian Brotherhood is actually an American group, or was, I'm not sure if it still exists, and its Irish counterpart was the Irish Republican Brotherhood. So, but that's just a little, you know, glitch kind of. Um, he would actually go to Scotland Yard and make reports about these intruders in his house coming in. You know, they would they would hide under his bed and in his attic. And he would say, the Fenian Brotherhood is going to torture me. They're trying to poison me. And Scotland Yard, mm-hmm, yeah, okay. okay. Oh, and, and what did they say next? Oh, oh. Wonder- and then when they went out the door, they probably, when he went out the door, they probably just burst out laughing. I wonder why s- paranoia is so common. You never hear of like somebody like having a mental disorder where it's like, yeah, they're not afraid of anything. Like occasionally you will. Because we but... live in a scary fucking world. Yeah, that, that's I guess why. That's true. It's I already scary true. to begin with. Get closer to the mic. Sorry. Um, I, I just I didn't want to. She's waving high. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's interesting to me, 
And I guess you're right. I guess you're right. It is a scary, scary world because, like, if I didn't stop myself from doing everything I wanted to do, people would be absolutely frightened of me. Yeah. I but, but you know what? A lot of serial killers are in the not afraid of anything realm. We talked about that last that's week. That's true. Yeah. That is yeah. true. And he's not, he's not a serial killer or anything. He's, he's terrified, which is why what ends up happening happens. He, that Colt 38 that Amber mentioned earlier, he starts sleeping with it. And on February... Shoving it up his dick and pouring wine through the barrel. <laughs> That's very inefficient. Um, February 17th. You can laugh out loud. It's fine. I it's, like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, more, it's more effective to load the wine in the bullets, jam it in, and pull the trigger. <laughs> he starts sleeping with this loaded Colt 38. And on February 17th, 1872, around 2 a.m., a man named George Merritt is passing by. George Merritt has six children and another on his way with his wife, Eliza. Some sources said seven. Some sources said there. It, it really varied so wildly. Six and a half. Six and two thirds. Um, he's well, just shouldn't have let the kid play in the street. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, George Merritt is a coal stoker at the Red Lion Brewery. He's just a farmer's son from Wiltshire who came to, to London to live. He's relieving another shift worker, just doing a guy a favor. And at about this same time, as he's walking past, William Minor, uh, one of his tormentors uh, that he's got the delusions about, is standing over him, and that's what he wakes up to. So he grabs the gun from under his pillow, and then the man runs out the door, and William Minor runs after him into the streets, and he shoots three to four times. By the time the police get there, George Merritt is dead. Um, I One account said blood pouring from his neck, so I know at least a shot in the neck, don't know anything else, no, no other specifics that I could find. I don't know if you guys had any other specifics. Um, not really. Amber? Not, no, not on that one. So, uh, William Minor tries to explain the whole Irish nationalist intruder stalking him thing to the police. He doesn't realize. That's the thing. This entire time, he thinks, you know, I shot a guy. He was probably the guy who was, you know, standing over me in my bed. The Irish nationalist guy who was going to kill me. And in his, in his mind, this is all justified because of his hallucinations and his delusions. And um, so, uh, we should mention the funeral, because this is quite something. Um... This was quite the sensation. Uh, there was a lot of outrage about it because it's it's an American in England. So you have the English raising money. You have the Americans raising money. Um, you had... Uh, so the widow, Eliza, um, had to... You know, she's got six kids, another on the way. She's got to put on a funeral for her deceased husband. She doesn't have a lot of money or any at all. They had funds raised from both, you know, like, like public sources and from ecumenical sources. Um, they had amateur entertainments where they would have literary readings with from uh, from Shakespeare and Longfellow. Not literally the people, <laughs> I should clarify. Um, and they would raise money that way. The funeral was something else. It was a half mile long. They had a band from the Ancient Order of Foresters, of which Merritt had been a member. Um, it, they had a horse-drawn hearse that is harder to say than I ever expected. Horse-drawn hearse. Four mourning coaches with family members in them, followed by hundreds of brewery workers and thousands of other citizens. I mean, they, they really, the, the public really got together 
you know, early proto GoFundMe essentially, and really put on um, a, a, a hell of a funeral for him. Seven weeks after the crime, in, there's a trial and Minor is found not guilty on the grounds of insanity. And off he goes to Broadmoor Asylum for the Criminally Insane. This episode of Old Timey Crimey is sponsored by Best Fiends. So, Scott. Yes. I've been playing Best Fiends. Oh, so have I. <laughs> Being that it's on Facebook now, it makes it so much easier for somebody like me to play the game. So somebody who has, you know, a flip phone. A flip phone, <laughs> yes. So what level are you on? I'm on level 35 right now. Nice, nice. I'm on level 730. Well, <laughs> I just bow to you. So I just really love the challenge. It's it's what keeps me, you know, among other things, like the cute characters, it's one of the things that keeps me coming back to the game. I, I love the fact that it's something there for me. Whenever I don't need to give my full attention to something, whenever I'm listening to this podcast, editing it, and what have you, I can play a little Best Fiends in the background, kill a little bit of time, get a little bit of stimulus while I listen to my own beautiful, wonderful, <laughs> lovely voice. I'm not egotistical at all. So I've noticed. Uh-huh. So yeah, I was, I was playing it on the plane the other day, on the way home from Florida. You know, I needed something to, to distract me and something to take my... You know, attention away from the fact that I'm in a giant steel tube in the air. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. has an interesting history of itself they have they have some pretty infamous residents in my mind none more infamous than june and jennifer gibbons yes the twins yes we're gonna touch on this even though it is it's not really an old-timey crimey we're talking 60s 70s mm -hmm. at this point but it is it is absolutely fascinating june and jennifer gibbons were called the silent twins they only communicated with each other Oh, I remember reading about that. Yeah, yeah. They became catatonic whenever they were separated. You put one and the other in separate rooms, and they would just go dead. It was like they shut down. They they started off doing like doing kind of what we're doing. They would do true crime research, and they would write crime fiction and stuff. But then it wasn't enough, and they started to turn to, turn to vandalism, petty theft, and even arson. During a discussion amongst themselves while they're in Broadmoor, the twins decide that one of them must die for the other one to live a normal life. And the decision is made that it's going to be Jennifer that dies, who soon does die of acute myo myocarditis. She just dies of natural causes on her own. She decides to die. She gives up herself. And then June becomes normal afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very creepy case. Very creepy. Another resident of Broadmoor at the same time that William Minor was there is one Christiana Edmonds, the chocolate cream killer, who you can hear about if you come and join our Patreon. So just so you know, there's extra content there that for you to enjoy. So we're going to take a hard left turn. Oh, by the way, um, just as a side note, he was allowed to keep books, um, and he had a comfortable two-room cell at Broadmoor, Mr. Or Dr. Minor did. 
uh, Dr. Minor did. So uh, we're going to take a hard left turn into the Oxford English Dictionary. Nice. So let's talk about this. So literally in on the list of potential crimes for us to do for episodes, we needed something uplifting after last week. And I literally had in parentheses after William Minor, uplifting, comma, OED. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, that's why I was able to send it to you guys so quickly last week when you guys like were barely out the door. I was like, oh yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it, we're good. So yeah, I knew we would need this someday, essentially. Although there were some moments in this, what's upcoming, that are not so uplifting. So now we're going to talk about the Oxford English Dictionary. Ooh, yes. exciting. Also known as the OED. So you guys get all sarcastic about this, but this is exciting to me. I, I knew that that's why no. you picked this, actually. I'm a, I'm a nerd. Nonsense, <laughs> I... I go home and I'll like open the Oxford English Dictionary and go, tits, and just <laughs> grab I mean, the I, coconut oil and go to town. I've literally <laughs> known the the acronym for the Oxford English. I've known it as the OED for most of my adult life, I, I would you say. You down with OED? Yeah, you, you know, know me. me. <laughs> We're so, white. <laughs> so white. It currently has uh, 600,000 words. 3.5 million quotations. It's over a thousand years of the English language. It tracks the evolution of words over time. So spelling, pronunciation, meanings, all these things tend to change over time, as we know. And it's faster and faster now in the digital age. So it tracks them and it includes quotes of the use of every word throughout history for every definition of every word. So it's, you know, if a word has 16 different definitions, it will have 16 different quotes from literature or some sort of use throughout history of that particular definition. So it is really, really something. That's why there's three point, there's 600,000 words and 3.5 million quotations. So in 1857, before the OED exists, the Philological Society of London says we need a new dictionary, which, by the way, philology. <laughs> I think I actually said it right, but it sounded horrible. Philology is the branch of knowledge that deals with the structure, historical development and relationships of a language or languages. So the Philological Society of London wants a new dictionary. They want to reexamine and recatalog English from all. Anglo-Saxon times up to, to up to the now, or what was the now in 1857. They planned it to be four volumes, about 6,400 pages, everything from 1150 onward. So about 300 years before the invention of the printing press is where they wanted to go to start with. So in 1858, they start gathering information. Editors send out a request for entries of quotations via mail, basically. They put, like, you know, ads in magazines and, and newspapers and stuff. Hey, send us, you know, quotations, including words. It did not go well. They got two tons of slips of papers with sentences on them. And they had volunteers sorting and cataloging these things. And the volunteers got kind of sick of it after a while. So... 20 years after that first attempt, the project ended up, it was still, you know, kind of, it was floundering, uh, but they still wanted to make it floundering. happen. Floundering. Verb. <laughs> <laughs> to flail about as if a fish. So 20 years after that first attempt, the project went to Oxford University Press, where it was overseen by one James A.H. Murray. This guy, you guys, this, this guy. guy. He's the nerd pimp. He really is. Did you see that beard? I did. The nerd pimp. The mm -hmm. nerd pimp. Yep. I want that on a t-shirt. Trust me. 
So Murray, here are the languages that he was basically, he was either fluent in or could manage in. You know, there's different levels of, of, of fluency with languages. Italian, Latin, French, Spanish, German, Catalan, Dutch, Flemish, Danish, Celtic, Vaudois, Provençal, Russian, Slavonic, Persian, Achaemenid, Cuneiform, Hebrew, Sanskrit, Syriac, Syriac, Aramaic, Arabic, <laughs> that's hard to say, Coptic, and Phoenician. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I couldn't even say half of those. Nobody even speaks Phoenician anymore. <laughs> right? Who speaks Coptic? Well, apparently he does. Murray. <laughs> yes. Didn't you say cuneiform, though, too? I yeah. Achaemenid. Oh, it is really hard to say. Achaemenid cuneiform. Yes, that nobody speaks that. I believe that was like drawing. Yeah, I think that it? was drawing. Yeah, yeah, but to Kenny speak Klingon. Kapla! <laughs> <laughs> So in 1879, Murray publishes a call for submissions. He's especially interested in 17th century works. That's where they have a big gap. Minor happens to have a lot of these in his rooms at Broadmoor. He's actually, and so an update on Minor as of this time. Uh, so this is 1879. He's been there for, you know, a couple years now. He's doing pretty well during the day. He could be kind of irritable and stubborn. But he read, he painted, he taught flute to other inmates. He apologized to George Merritt's widow, Eliza. She would come and visit him and bring him books. He donated money to her and her seven children. It's actually kind of heartwarming to it, see. It really is. This, is. this is a weird situation. I think the first time that I have honest-to-God sympathy for, the, for our killer. Mm-hmm. This this guy didn't mean to do it, and he is he is doing his damnedest to repent for it. He really is, yeah. And it's still there's still a lot of bad there. At night, night is bad. Yeah. He has delusions of boys coming to chloroform him, people shoving funnels into his mouth and pouring poison down his throat, people operating on his heart, making him do depraved things. He even had one experience experience being in quotes, obviously this didn't really happen of being kidnapped and taken to Constantinople and... Istanbul. <laughs> Constantinople. No one knows but the Turks. <laughs> um, and made to act as a pimp and forced to sexually assault children. This is all what's going in... This is all what's going on in his head at night, which is terrifying to have to live like that. He was terrified. He had barricaded and, and tr set up booby traps on his door. One doctor called him, quote, abundantly insane, <laughs> which if you're going to be called abundantly something, insane is not the word you want to follow. I don't know. I kind of want that on a yeah. t-shirt. Abundantly <laughs> insane. Ooh, abundantly or a gravestone. Ab oh. Yeah. Guys, let's, let's combine them. <laughs> abundantly insane nerd pimp. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You 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 got a lot of you meet a lot of interesting people. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I'm this is I'm true. picturing like a grill and a tin foil hat, and I just I think no they a clash. tin foil fedora. Oh. yeah, tin foil fedora right there. We need to make one of those. Gotta get gotta have the nerdy glasses. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. I mean you already do. I'm I'm picturing MC Frontalot, who <laughs> is a nerdcore rapper. So okay. <laughs> So Minor... Don't judge me. ...is having... <laughs> all I can think about is Stephen Hawking's rap album with all my shootings be drive-bys. <laughs> oh, I still get sad when I realize Stephen Hawking is dead. 
Every once in a while, you have that realization, that remembrance, and you're like, "Oh, yeah." What was that? Was that Carter's first or second birthday? You brought that yeah. album over and we yeah. played it at her birthday party. Yeah. Oh my gosh! All yeah. my shootings be drive by. Uh, it was a brief history of rhyme by M. C. Hawking. Yes. And yes. The, uh, second second song on the album is the Big Bazang. <laughs> All right. So. Marner is having good days and rough nights, and he sees It's a country his... song. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I got good, good days, days and rough nights. <laughs> you went Elvis for some reason? Well, he did a little bit of country. All right. So Y'all make me drink. He sees this call for submissions, and he knows he can answer it, and he starts contributing, and it helps to calm him down for the time being. Not, well... Not uncommon. The co-ed killer, Edmund Kemper, uh, actually did a huge amount of audiobooks. Mm -hmm. So a lot of audiobooks from the 70s that blind people would listen to, it was the fucking necrophiliac co-ed killer, Edmund Kemper, reading to them. And then as far as like arts and crafts are concerned, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of evidence that those help with mental illness. I know that for a time I was doing a lot of coloring and then I moved over and I cross-stitch. It helps me with my anxiety a lot. So, yeah. So. You're going to make me judge anybody that crochets. I don't like, crochet. I cross-stitch. No, but from now on, anytime I see, like, doing some sort of craft, I'm going to be like, mm-hmm. It can just be you like to make things, too. And there's nothing wrong with having a mental illness. Stigma, Amber? I mean... <laughs> I'm don't calling you on the... Okay, don't. well... That that went badly, yes, but had he lived later and been diagnosed, he could have been medicated and found some outlet before that happened, like contributing to a dictionary. But in fairness, had he been medicated, he would not have been of the mental capacity to contribute as That's not necessarily true. If he would have been medicated, maybe he wouldn't have done what he's going to do here in a few seconds. Oh, yeah. And it's a, well, it's a little little while. Uh, in my notes, because I, it's the OED, guys. I'm in my element, so... Um, Wait. The, the editors are having problems organizing submissions and getting the right ones from the public. Everybody wants to send quotations with the word the. That's, that's, that's all they get is the. And so, uh, but Miner, he had a system. He would index the location of every word in his many, many books. So he basically was just like Google for the editors. They could say, you know, he, he would be like, what do you need? They could send him 20 words and he just flip through his index, find those locations, write down the quotations, send them in. In the 1890s, he was sending in up to 20 quotations a day. And they had no idea who he was. They just thought he's some retired surgeon looking for a project. The a phantom, man of letters. The phantom nerd. The phantom nerd, <laughs> yes. So, and just so we know, like, the, the OED, this was imagined as a 10-year project. It started in 1879, and by 1884, they had finally reached the word ant. So they were halfway <laughs> through the A's um, and it, after five years. So they did publish the first part that year. We had a good start with Aardvark. We all knew that was going to be the first one. And then we just lost it from there. <laughs> it would take a little while to complete, and we'll get there. But so this is how Murray found out who this W.C. Miner was. Uh, because his address was just Crowthorn. Or Crowthorn, I wasn't really sure, but Crowthorn sounds right to me. Um, and they even the first volume that they published that year had a thank you to Dr. W.C. Miner, Crowthorn. Uh, so Murray, uh, there's a librarian of Harvard College visiting England, and he says to Mr. Murray, thank you for being so kind to our poor Dr. Minor. And Murray says, poor Dr. Minor, what can you possibly mean? 
And so he finds out, well, you know, if you go to the asylum, you'll find out. So he and Minor exchange... It's at the asylum. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He and Minor exchange letters in 1891, and Murray goes to Broadmoor to visit. He gets to Broadmoor. He's all ready to meet this this dude, this hero of his. This guy, he's like he's like he came and he he was the reason that this project is still able to limp along. This man of literary eminence. They take him to the director's office. He says to the director. I, sir, am Dr. James Murray of the London Philological Society and editor of the New English Dictionary. It wasn't the OED yet. And you, sir, must be Dr. William Minor. At long last, I am most deeply honored to meet you. There was a pause. I regret not, sir. I am the superintendent of the Broadmoor Asylum for the Criminally Insane. Dr. Minor is an American and one of our longest-serving inmates. He committed a murder. He is quite insane. American, you say? My God! (laughs) And judging by, like, I I went to multiple different sources, and of course we know there is a movie made eventually. I'm not 100% sure, looking back, whether this was from the book or the movie that the book was based on. So I'm just clarifying that, that I don't know if this is actually recorded down as you know like a history somebody wrote oh yeah this actually happened or if they made this up as dialogue because it is pretty specific um and pretty narrative but so uh minor and murray do finally meet and they chat for two hours in minor's cell it's really delightful to see two people meeting like this who have you know different lives very different lives at this point in time but they're so similar at the same time and murray said i found him as far as i could see as sane as myself a fine Christian gentleman, the same as myself. So we have that going on. He's doing all of his contributions, but the religiosity is ramping up uh, in, over the following years. And so are the sexual appetites and delusions. He said he was being forced to have sex with hundreds of women, quote, from Reading to Land's End, end quote. Which, by the way, that's 257 miles. I want these kind of hallucinations. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Not the ones where you're being forced to sexually assault children, but with all no. the women. Yeah. The women. Hell yeah. <laughs> so this all added up. You put these two things together, and it, one thing that he can't help, and then the, the, the values and, and ideas about morality that were instilled in him growing up, and there's a lot of religious guilt... Uh, His medical file, I have a quotation from this if you want to hear it. Quote, he believed that there had been a complete saturation of his entire being with the lasciviousness of over 20 years, during which time he had relations with thousands of nude women night after night. Scott is drooling. Scott, wipe the drool off your face. Wipe it off. (laughs) Well, of course they'd have to be nude. (laughs) Or at least partially unclothed. (laughs) I mean, scarred, easy access. Um, But when he became Christianized, he saw that he must sever himself from the lascivious life that he had been leading. And there's a reason Amber's laughing, because... There's a reason why Amber's laughing and why Scott is wincing. Yep. On De- in December of 1902. December the 3rd. See, December the 3rd. Thank you. He had been doing a lot of work with his books, and he had to cut out pages. So they let him have a pen knife. Scott is so uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. Um, and so he could free these bo- pages from his book to index them. So he sharpens the knife. I'm going to make my own bookmark. <laughs> he applies a tourniquet to his penis, and he cuts it off. Actually... Actually, what? Before he did this, he wrote a note asking for the medical officer. 
Oh no, I had that he a- a- afterward called for the medical officer. Oh, you have it. After. No, it could be. It can be. Honestly, again, once again, we have no idea. <laughs> yeah. It could be either one. Sources vary wildly. wildly. Yes. He was sixty-eight years old though, so he had his penis for sixty-eight years, and was like, you know what? I don't want this thing down here anymore. Fuck this thing. Nowadays, you think they just do cryotherapy and freeze it off. It's it's I'm really it even worked. I have to give some props to mental floss. <laughs> <laughs> For both calling it an autopiotomy mm-hmm. and the, quote, his member dismembered. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm going to be reluctant props, but props. Uh, I feel so like yes. that's probably a punk band. Yeah. And the thing was, I had just, you know, you know how I pick cases and I'll skim and kind of make sure that it's the length. I'm basically looking for length and content. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus Christ. Every time. Every episode. <laughs> God damn it. Um... So I'm looking for making sure there's enough content to, like, you know, fill an episode. A nice, veiny, girthy episode. <laughs> a nice, veiny, girthy episode. And uh, so I did this was I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> so it wasn't until I, 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 I was going back and forth between the wiki and the mental floss and another article. And I'm, I'm like flying all around, pulling in stuff from all sources. And I get to the line, you know, December 1902 when he cut off his penis. And Jackson's in the room with me and I go, Jesus Christ! <laughs> And he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, he just cut off his penis. I, it was a thing. I do all my research at work whenever I'm supposed to be working. Amber knows what I mean. And it's a thing where like, like I like going down the little rabbit holes. I like knowing who, who also went to this college. What, what else is this place known for? They listen. They know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they get to, on the Wikipedia page, autopinectomy, removal of the penis. And it's. It's like blue, meaning oh. I can click on it and go someplace else. You and went, went down that rabbit hole? No, I went, oh. not at work. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, he does either, he writes a note or he goes to the gate and yells for medical assistance saying, I have injured myself, which uh, this was a, a man of a true understatement, if ever there was one. Well, no, did, did you stub his, Did you stub your toe or get a paper cut from your, oh my God. <laughs> you can bleed out from that within two minutes, I believe. Oh, yeah, depending now on. Now I'm cringing. I don't know why. I don't have one. So there was a story, and I shouldn't know this, and I'm not going to say why or how I know it. But there was a story of a car accident. It was a young couple. They had hit the back of an 18-wheeler, but she was giving him roadhead. And they hit. She bit. Ooh. He bled out within just a few minutes, and she actually choked on the member. And so they had both died from a fender bender, essentially. Like, it wasn't that bad. Like, they would have lived otherwise. It's ugh. so you can bleed out pretty quickly from that. I don't think we need to go into serious detail. Okay. I, I, we can we can stop. If you I want. I imagine. I thought Scott would want to stop. Honestly, I I, <laughs> I imagine if you are if it's like severed in arousal, then you have more of a chance of bleeding out because oh, there's probably blood going to that. Because John Wayne Bobbitt, he survived. Yeah, his, true. True. Um. Eunuchs were a thing in, in ancient Greece. Yeah, so I guess if it's if it's uh, not engorged, right, then right. you have a chance. <laughs> and I am going to give all the gentlemen out there a little hint. Your dick has a cheat code. Your... Haven't we talked about this before? Maybe we have. I feel like we... never mind. We're... I feel like you really enjoy this topic. You I... love the cheat code. I love. The... I'm not sure if we talked about it on the podcast. Amber, do you remember? I don't know. I would like to know about the dick cheat code. Okay, if you have an erection that you need to get rid of, 
This is for all you high schoolers out there. Whenever you, you're sitting there thinking, wow, Mrs. Smithers' ass looks really good in that dress. Johnny, would you like to come up to the board? No, thanks. I'll just take an F for the day. No, what you do, here's what you do. Just kind of give yourself in, in just a few moments, man, and flex a muscle. Flex a calf muscle, flex both calf muscles, what have you. The flexing of the muscle will actually draw blood away, and the first place it'll draw it away from is your cock. No, I've actually heard, um, and it was many years ago that I read this, but thighs, mm -hmm. which makes sense because it's closer. Huge muscle, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Huge there's that. muscle. Yeah. But yeah, just flexing a muscle will be enough to bring an erection down in about 60 seconds. So if anybody out there has an erection listening to this, um, A... Uh, you're welcome, number one. Maybe go see a doctor about that. <laughs> uh, and B, uh, try this out. Let us know how the experiment yeah. goes in a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. I'm sure <laughs> That'll but great. keep the word penis out of it, please. An erection. Just keep it family friendly. Achieve flop steam 45 seconds. Five stars. <laughs> exactly. That's what we want to hear. Uh, so, okay. Going back to this. Um, after this incident, the delusions are still haunting him. I think that's what he was trying to do. He figured if I can get rid of the source. Mm -hmm. You go to the source. You get rid of the source. It doesn't work. And he basically stops his contributions to the OED. Uh, but he and Murray remain friends. Um, he sends Murray money when Murray's going on a trip to the Cape of Good Hope, and Murray helps get Miner back to the U.S. in 1910. He's basically, you know, he's an old man now, he's ailing, he wants to go home, so on orders from Winston Churchill, who was at the time the Home Secretary. Uh, he goes back, he ends up back at St. Elizabeth's. Apostrophe. It was kind of a neat thing because... Winston Churchill actually has him deported to get him back to the U.S. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, at St. Elizabeth's, he is diagnosed with dementia praecox, which is a precursor to schizophrenia. I'm not surprised. It makes it all, like, it's like, he's finally, geez, you know, mm -hmm. somebody's figured it out. Um, in 1915, James Murray died and in 1919, Minor is transferred to the Retreat for Elderly Insane, which somehow sounds like the most terrifying place. I don't know what it is about it's, that that scares me, but it's something. very Romero-esque. So Retreat for Elderly Insane, REI, isn't that like a sporting yeah. goods store? That is, I don't think that's what their initials stand for, but now it is. <laughs> Every time somebody gets a jacket from REI, I'm going to be like, uh -huh. it was made by... Elderly insane people. No, nah, only to be worn for the elderly insane by the elderly insane. <laughs> there you go. That's Ari's model. <laughs> so, yeah, in 1919, he's transferred there, which gets him back to Connecticut. So back to essentially his home. I mean, he may have been born in, in present-day Sri Lanka, but this is essentially where he spent a lot of his formative years. And on March 26, 1920, he dies of pneumonia at age 85. Mm. This whole contribution to the OED, it isn't really mentioned a whole lot. Um, they say, One article I read said he had no obituaries, but literally an article from the Yale Medical Magazine said the Yale Press uh, obituary said he was found to be mentally deranged, and in Broadmoor he remained, gradually recovering his mental balance and devoting his time to scholarly pursuits. So they kind of... Didn't talk about the murder, but also didn't talk about the contribution to the OADs. They were kind of like, let's just ride that fence. Let's just let's just hang out on that fence, maybe with some muskets hanging from our legs. I'm crazy gun legs. <laughs> so, uh, and then on April or in April 1928, 71 years in the making. 
the last volume of a new English dictionary on historical principles, which would eventually come to be known as the Oxford English Dictionary, is finally published. It had 400,000 words and phrases in 10 volumes. And in the fifth edition that was published in 1899, Murray wrote, second only to the contributions of Dr. Fitzedward Hall, that was one of the earliest major co contributors, in enhancing our illustration of the literary history of individual words, phrases, and constructions have been those of Dr. W.C. Minor, received week by week for words at which we are actually working. Uh, in, 12,000 quotes during just two years, so there's more probably during other periods. So enormous have been Dr. Meyer's contributions during the past 17 or 18 years that we could easily illustrate the last four centuries from his quotations alone. Good for him. Yeah. He found redemption both for his early dictionary failures and for, I believe, for his later very much accidental honestly it's it's, yeah. it's still a crime it's still murder but it's very much it's not he never intended for that to happen and and what was going on in his head was very different from what was going on in reality so if you would like to be uh like dr minor in the good way and contribute to the OED. They do add new words every year. If you've ever noticed about once a year there's some big headlines uh, somewhere very delicious <laughs> because, you know, something is added to the OED and it generally tends to be either something nowadays from pop culture or from, you know, like internet slang, stuff like that. Um, but you can offer contributions at the OED website, uh, public.oed.com slash contribute dash to dash the dash OED. I'll put it up on the social media. Wow. I didn't intend to read the whole thing, but it's there and I'm saying it. So, um, it made me twitch. So you can, <laughs> Scott's been having like an eye take the whole entire time. I think it I think has. he doesn't like me talking about words. No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm having flashbacks. I, I actually made it to the state finals. Uh, whenever I was in eighth grade, I made it to the state finals of of the uh, of the national spelling bee. Oh my god! So I mean, I won my schools the first year, seventh grade. I won my schools and then bombed out in the counties. Not my fault. I knew how to spell biscuit. <laughs> it was just I was unfamiliar with microphones and the way I would spell I would separate things up bis q it mm. right that's how I'd spell it I went b i s q and it picked up mm. as q and so yeah just I was unfamiliar with microphones there's that second time through I did not make that mistake won my schools won the counties and made it to god so I forget what round of the state finals and bombed out on the word Uno. Good luck, everyone. Yeah. Uno. Noun. A two-toed sloth indigenous to South America with French ed etymology. Oh my god, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the word I bombed out on. Oh my god. I am not ashamed. I know how to spell it. I ain't gonna you all fucking look it up. <laughs> so I had to. I'm sorry. It's okay, buddy. You have one toe. Slothy's apologizing to Scott. <laughs> Good old Slothy, no. our podcast mascot. Here's the thing. Looking back on it, like it would have been terrifying for me to go to D.C., so I'm actually kind of happy that I bombed out. See, we, we've we actually had um, like where our friends come over and we all get very drunk and hedge bets on the spelling bee. Mm-hmm. And uh, the why have I never been invited to this? Is because you know I'll be super obnoxious. This is forever ago, and this was a, this was a Sosa thing actually. That that is why they were obviously exchanging money for the spelling bee. Sosa, 
friend of the podcast. We're using that term friend loosely. So, so we know you, we really don't like you. Go ahead, Amber. But I can still I can still vividly remember one of the names of the girls on the spelling bee. It was Suck On Your Roy. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Oh, my. Yes. So I will never forget that name and always wonder why they named somebody Suck On Ya. That's terrible. That's horrible. I, guys, spelling bees are not as cool as you're thinking. You're yeah. sitting there like going, uh... You know, your word is Fergalicious. <laughs> uh, definition? Make them boys go loco. <laughs> so, we were also very different in the eighth grade, because in the eighth grade, you were in the spelling bee and mm, I stole a car. Yeah, that's true. So. <laughs> John Walsh was literally after her. So many listeners right now wanting that story, but you know what? Nope. Save nope. it for a Patreon episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, okay, do you guys have any more? Well, we do have the, the, the book and the movie. Yes. In 1998, Simon Winchester wrote a book called, uh, in America, it was called The Professor and the Madman. And then in 2019, a movie came out. Uh, it had Sean Penn, Mel Gibson, and one of my favorites, Natalie Dormer. She was Marjorie Tyrell on Game of Thrones. And she played Eliza. And I didn't read anything deep enough to know this, but there were just even guesses before the movie came out even by Simon Winchester himself, that there was going to be, it was going to be a love interest thing with Sean Penn playing, I believe, William Minor. Love interest thing between him and, and Eliza, who Natalie Dormer played. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't seen it. Nobody's seen it? Nobody's seen it. It's supposed to be pretty good. Mm. But, uh, yeah. I think if anyone's going to play Madman, it should be Mel Gibson. That fucker's nuts. Right? I know. How do you get into the same guy? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, because it was his movie. Because he's yeah. the one who bought the. the uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah he's the one is. who optioned the property. So, so yeah, uh, that is Doctor W. C. Minor, a man who <sighs> he was, was cursed, complicated. He was, yeah, he was human, and he suffered from human faults and frailties, and eventually. He decided that, at least for a time, he was going to be able to put those human faults and frailties aside and contribute as much as he could from the position that he found himself in. And that in itself is admirable. And poor Eliza, uh, poor George, their poor children, all of that. Everybody, <sighs> life is complicated. People are complicated. And that's the world we live in. Sometimes you just got to chop off your own dick. I was going to say, he might have died dickless and alone. I feel like that's penance. Hey, he was in the same, like, he was family, family around, nearby. I don't know if they were there, but they were nearby. It was just his uncle, though, and his uncle would have had to have been quite a bit older than him. Not necessarily. Oh, that's true. Okay, that's that's true. We already talked that, he, you the know. The 10-year age gap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, before we dive into uh, what we're doing this weekend, uh, if you liked this, and you really should have, because I feel like this was a great show, guys. This really was. Uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can also contribute to us at patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, where we have a variety of special bonuses for you, including our... Really fun, old, tiny crimeys. I've been really enjoying those, and I'm plotting out future weeks. 
There's also our PayPal. You can uh, use our email, oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. Send us a buck. Really, honestly, every little bit counts. Uh, we, we do this as a labor of love, but it would it's just nice to pay the cost, essentially. Um, I mean, we want to do it professionally someday, but it's Absolutely. nice to pay the cost for the moment. Please get Amber and me out of the hellhole we work in. <laughs> <laughs> gonna say get me out of academia <laughs> um actually we'll always keep a foot in there just for the the access to the resources for research I, honestly I just, I just looked over at amber and i i made the joke about get us out of the hellhole half-heartedly serious and i looked over at amber and it looked like you were gonna cry <laughs> i love my job <laughs> So we work in different departments. Mine's better. <laughs> we also have an Amazon wish list with books that you can pick from. True crime, old timey, true crimey books that you can pick from to send to us, and we'll do a deep dive on a book and really go hardcore on a topic. You always find out the most amazing things from the books. I love it. Um, and so that is available on all of our social media. If you go to um, our Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Insta, we are Old Timey Crimey in all those places. There is a link tree there, and that has the Amazon wish list. And yeah, that's all my stuff. So what you guys doing this weekend? Amber never listens past this part, so she's not even yeah. prepared. <laughs> And I was like, I was checking my Facebook. No, I don't like, okay, so I have kids and I don't have a social life. And so I'm probably going to make slime. I don't know. Don't I you guys just... normally, you have a normal uh, routine or, or a tradition for the Super Bowl? You go to some family member's house or something? Oh, God. Um, no, we used to go to Nana's house, but Nana is now in a home. Oh. Um, no, that's actually a beautiful thing. Oh, okay. All right. Last Super Bowl, we were at her house. She shit on the floor. So I'm very happy that that tradition is no more. Oy. Um, But no, so like, it's probably just going to be at our house. I'm either going to kick Marcus out or I'm, I'm going to um, avoid him. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, probably make slime. <laughs> I am printing right now a Mayan death whistle. <laughs> so for the, long, for the longest time, they found these little skull artifacts. And they didn't quite know what they were. They were little clay skulls in Mayan temples. And then somebody went, oh, let's blow in the hole. And always somebody does that. Exactly. That's how so many scientific discoveries have been made. Is somebody said, you know what we should do? We should blow in this hole. Oh, yeah. Also yeah. a lot of sexual discoveries. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and so, unfortunate sexual discoveries. So if you blow into the hole of a Mayan death whistle, instead of it going, like that, it goes, ah! <laughs> It, it screams. Make me one. I will make, make you one. one. I will make you right. one. If anybody brings these to my house, warn me so I can hide the cats so we don't terrify them. They're elderly and one is blind and the other one is terrified of loud noises. Don't be cruel to my cats. Oh, so yes, right now I'm printing out a Mayan death whistle. Nice. Uh, like, I need one of these in my life. I'm taking it to work oh, and I'm going to terrify everybody. Oh my God. Well, we'll all show you a video afterwards. So that <laughs> oh is like my thing. I cannot wait. It should be done whenever I get home. Nice. And so it'll be it'll be enough that I can just blow into it and ah! oh my god <laughs> I need this. <laughs> Mine is less exciting. Uh, like uh, I, I said, I'm I'm planning on uh, Super Bowl and, and cross stitch and a, a, a thing I actually I'm, I'm excited about it, but it's it's also kind of you know Amber's judging me. Um, is I've started this uh, project that is there's. Uh, it's more embroidery than cross stitch, which half the people listening are like, "What? Who cares?" But you know, cross stitch is the X's. I think it's a little bit more than half. And yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> and embroidery, the other half aren't listening at all. Um, <laughs> embroidery is, is more, you know, it's different. It's, it's 
different altogether. But this is called black work. Okay. And it actually uh, was first brought over from Spain by Catherine of Aragon. Gone, mm. and uh, she brought it over when she came and married Henry VIII, and it's an embroidery type, and they would they would use black because there, there's something about the black that it was the only kind the f- thread that didn't disintegrate easily at the time, or something like that. I might be totally wrong, or but so it would be black thread all, all over like white, uh, you know, sleeves and such. And there's many many portraits of of women during this period because she basically made it popular as as queens tended to do. Um, and so it, it, it's survived through the years and has become, uh, you know, a, a style. And I've started this thing where it's a stitch along where you do a one block every week of this. Okay. And I'll show you guys after the show and maybe I'll even put it up on the, the Ooh, Facebook or something. I'd but love that. It is. Uh, yeah, it's been really fun. I've been having a lot of fun with, with changing up, like, you know, the threads that I use and colors and everything. And so I'm looking forward. I'm on. I'm, t- I'm still behind. I still have to do like last week's, and then this week's just came out yesterday. I'm like, I'm not done yet. I have a life. So, but yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with that. And then I also um, have a, a, a gift to work on for somebody, which I'm notoriously slow at. <laughs> uh, Steve still hasn't gotten his Christmas gift. I've still got to um, iron it and put the backing on, <laughs> which I, I made him a, a, a stitched tree frog. Steve is the frog photographer I work for. Aww. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, that's my weekend. I'm looking forward to to six hours of uh, occasionally looking up for commercials. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening. We had a great time. We hope you learned something. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. My sources this week are an article by Lucas Riley on mental floss, Wikipedia, the OED website, Find a Grave, uh, an article by Jenny Blair from the Yale School of Medicine magazine, MyHeritage.com, an article by Natalie Zarelli on Atlas Obscura, and uh, the Professor and the Madman postscript on Aranow.com. My sources are Wikipedia, FindAGrave.com, and BBC.co.uk. I read those, but I really slacked as far as research this week, so I only have one on ForgottenNewsmakers.com. You know what? It's one we don't have, so let's go for it. (laughs) Absolutely.